you know, I think every printmaker has their own way of doing things. Like, and you might think you can only do it this way. And if some of my students have taken a class with so-and-so or taken a class with so-and-so, I'm like, we all get to the same place, but we might have different, you know, ways of getting there. And I think the same thing with running, like there isn't one formula. Chill Track Friday, I'm Anne. Hello, hello, this is Ali. <laughs> Chill Track Friday in the house. I always laugh at the hello, hello, because now we're getting comments about the hello, hello. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're sitting next to our logo, which is a good reminder that we haven't talked about coffee in a while. How dare we? <laughs> How dare we miss a beat in coffee? I have so much coffee in my apartment that I had to make a whole other drawer just for coffee beans. Yeah. Well, I feel like they're contaminating each other. Well, everybody knows I've been traveling a lot for work. So every time I go and get coffee for myself from somewhere else, I bring you a bag too. So I've seen like all of that pile up and fall over yeah. in your kitchen. I know. It's really funny. Well, this is something that I mentioned to one of our guests, our guest, Laura Rodriguez, who, by the way, just turned 40. Welcome to the Masters Running, Laura. Um, she and her husband gave us a bag of chill track Friday beans, like with the label that's chill track Friday. And I was telling her that we're saving it for a special occasion and our special occasion has happened. We haven't drank the coffee yet, but we're going to, which is that we are officially a company. We have incorporated. (laughs) Chill track Friday Inc. Sounds like an oxymoron. (laughs) Contradiction. I know. Yeah, we're setting up the team. There's going to be a CFO. Positions are opening up, guys. Intern. <laughs> All interns. We need a CFO for an intern. We need an intern for a CFO. Uh, um, well, I did not have that coffee this morning. I had coffee from Bouchon. Yeah. Well, I, I was there too. It was great to be back to group training. Uh, you were coaching. I just kind of, I was an interloper. <laughs> Showed up like just a little bit past the start line and joined the Joined your group. and You kind of like bounced off the grass in your New Balance bright jacket. We're like, oh, hey, Ali. <laughs> and you said, hello, hello. Yeah. I had to know. It's like, I don't know. It's a thing that I do, apparently. <laughs> Even on your work chat. Even on my work chats. Yeah. It was good to be back. Yeah. So everybody at Bouchon knows what I do. Then like people who are behind the counter or like the regular servers behind the counter, they just laugh every time they see me. They're like, oh, you want oat? You want an oat milk latte and you want oatmeal with steamed oat milk. Is that, I'm like, yep, <laughs> the horse in me is here. Give me all the oats. As our friend Daphne said this morning, doubling down on the oats. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to soon be like, nee. Yeah. Hey, there's, <laughs> just, I was like, wait a minute, is that horse? <laughs> yes. Horse or a zebra? Um, horse. Okay. Um, <laughs> So much is going on. I know, I know. Let's get right to it. Congratulations to everyone who finished the Berlin Marathon. Yeah. Goodness me. So many people that we know did really well, Mm -hmm. and it was a tough day. It was a tough day, but Kenanisa Bikele ran 201.41, two seconds off the world record. I know. It's incredible. We watched it live, and we we were like, what is going on? I know. It was really beautiful. I'm so happy for him. I'm so happy for him. He's, He's just such an incredible runner, just... It, it was about time. Yeah. Um, and he had had, he had hit a bad patch, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a saying that I really like in sports, and I've only heard it in cricket, but I think in other sports, it applies across the board. Maybe it's from another sport and being used in cricket, but they say 
Uh, form is temporary, but class is permanent. Mm -hmm. Like you can see someone with the class of Kananisa has come back. He lost his form for a little bit, had a few injury patches, and then a couple of DNFs. And mm. it's fascinating to just watch him do what he did. Yeah, it was those last five minutes of the race, just incredible. Yeah. And speaking of in incredible and just all out being a badass, how about Roberta Groner? Yeah, congratulations, Roberta. I was I turned my little NBC Gold app on at work and then was watching it on the walk home to the subway, on the subway, in my apartment, like did not take my eyes off of that race. Just incredible. It's like the real field temperature was like 106 degrees and yeah. she came in sixth. Sixth. 238. But what was so beautiful to just watch is, you know, the commentators were and the cameras were really on the fr the front pack and then you know, the few people behind. And then she started coming up and getting further up in the ranks. And it, yeah. it was just incredible. And all of a sudden, the commentator started talking about she was with the other American. Oh, the Americans are in. Mm -hmm. The Americans are in 12th. Oh, 10th. And then she, then it went from 10th to 6th. And she stayed yeah. in 6th. And it was just incredible. Exactly. I think at the 10K, it was the number was much, right? Like, it was like, I forget what it was, like 14th, 15th or something yeah. like that. It might have even been 19th or something. Like that. I forget. But to hang on to that, right, mm -hmm. there were obviously a lot of dropouts because those conditions were oh, absolutely, yeah. I don't know how you how you run in conditions like that. But, yeah, she really well prepared, obviously, but also the, the grit to hang on. And the grit to hang on. And then the unbridled joy across her face when she crossed the finish line is just, I got emotional. I was taking photographs of my TV. And <laughs> I was frantically <laughs> taking screenshots, and then I realized we can replay the whole thing and pause it and take screenshots, like, because, you know, it's being recorded. Yeah. Yeah. But... Congratulations, Roberta. Yeah. Speaking of Masters Runners, who's our guest today? Our guest today is Megan Foster. She's someone who I've been I've been following her running for many years, and I always saw her name at the top of either my age group or the age group just below me. And it just at the times that I would see, I was like, who is this person? It's so consistent and so just getting better and getting faster. And someone who is just a runner and loves the sport, but like not on the headlines. And I just was like, who is this person? And I just started like looking for her online. And Megan Foster, she has won New York Roadrunner, Runner of the Year multiple times. Um, she is a 243-44 marathoner. She's an Olympic marathon trials qualifier. And she has an elite bib for the New York City Marathon this year. And she's part of the newly formed team, uh, the Distance Project, New York City, which started this March. And it's a group of uh, I, I want to call them like a band of badasses and they're all women and they are just so fast. Yeah, I love and that. Megan is also a master printmaker and she works, uh, she's a teacher at Rhode Island School of Design and she lives in New York City and she splits her time between here and Providence. And I'm so, so excited to have her today. And you have, I mean, take it away because you, have, you your story you're about to tell is kind of mind boggling. Yeah. Before actually speak, I'm just going to say a little bit more about Under the Radar because I keep, I've heard you mention her name many times, right? In terms of like, oh, who shows up to the race? You're mm -hmm. like, oh, Megan Foster's running. So that's like she's going to win. She's going to win, right? <laughs> or the, Right. This is like, uh, here, here goes one spot out of the top three. Um, so I was like, okay, I heard that name. I didn't, I didn't know what she looked like or who who this person was. Um, and uh, even when we announced our like sneak peek, one of our previous guests, Barbara, was like, oh, I've like it would be great to know. I only know her from results, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then when we spoke to her, we realized why she's she's just so, such a humble and nice person. So, but it was, 
when she walked in into our studio, she, she thought the exact same thing after she saw me, and I thought the exact same thing when I saw her, but we didn't say it. And I was like, I think I, I've seen her before. Like, I know her. Uh, we've met for sure. Um, and then, but we didn't say anything. It wasn't until after we had we were done recording the interview, it came out that she had taught at City College and I went to City College. In the episode, you'll hear me talk about during my photography days, I used to spend a lot of my time in a dark room that was right next to a print shop. Um, but I never really, <laughs> at that point, neither Megan or I knew that that print shop was Megan's print shop. Like she was, she was the professor at 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 City College. Uh, and taught printmaking. And I had seen her there many times. My photography professor was really close friends with Megan. And we used to go upstate um, uh, to my photography professor's cabin for like a barbecue day one, you know, every summer. And apparently Megan was there too while I was there. <laughs> and I, because I was in photography, I used to take a lot of pictures while we were up there. And I went back to my 2008 archival folder and I found that a picture that I'd taken of Megan in 2008 while we were upstate. Wow. Full circle. And yeah. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and That's then so a- after I realized, I was like, oh, you're that Megan. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I love, I mean, circles, cr- paths crossing. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So we hope you enjoy this show. Megan is lovely. Welcome to the show, Megan Foster. Thank you. Super <laughs> excited to be here. I know it's kind of you might have been caught off guard by my email, but you you are someone who I really admire, and I've been watching your running for several years. So thank yes. you for joining us today. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Why, why don't we start with who is Megan Foster? <laughs> Describe yourself in three, five words, or however many. That's a good one. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just kind of an everyday runner I consider myself. Um, (laughs) An artist as well. I'm sort of, uh, I have a studio practice in a studio in Williamsburg. I'm a master printmaker and a master runner. (laughs) I wear the master's hat for two different sort of fields. Um, But uh, my specialty is printmaking. So I have a a long sort of education and sort of all the processes for printmaking and do that for my own work. I work as a contract master printer and I sort of teach full time Right up there. <laughs> um, I teach full-time at uh, Rhode Island School of Design in the printmaking department. So, um, And when I'm not, you know, making prints and making art, I'm out running generally. Wow. Do you find that you're always busy doing one or the other of those things? Yeah, you know, I, I, I try to see how many balls I can keep in the air at once. <laughs> People <laughs> sort of joke with me that I do a lot. And, you know, I actually think that being a sort of endurance sort of athlete, um, it does help me kind of do a lot of these projects, which are quite physical in printmaking. Mm. And so, yeah, I do feel like I'm, you know, it's rare that I sit down. <laughs> I know. I was going to ask you because printmaking is very physical and you're standing a lot. So how do you time your work to your long runs and things? Not really. Yeah. I just kind of go with the flow sort of, you know, I don't have to take on a ton of outside master. I, I work as a contract printer as well. So when I'm not teaching or I'm not in my studio, um, I sometimes take on projects for other artists and make their sort of projects. And, you know, they always generally fall right when a marathon's coming up. So <laughs> I just, just do it. You know, you get in you know, long run early in the morning and then get to the shop. And, you know, by the time the day's over, you just sit there with a pint and, or a glass of wine. And <laughs> Yeah, well, it's funny because I work in the art world as well. And the calendar is very similar to the marathon calendar. There's an autumn season and there's yes. a spring season. <laughs> and the print world's like the big print fair in New York is mm-hmm. the last weekend in October. And so whenever I run New York or... 
you know, even Chicago, I, I like Chicago better because I can <laughs> kind of relax in the print fair season, but, um, but it's usually everybody wanting to get a new edition out for the print fair or so you're usually working on it all fall and, wow. um, but again, I don't do that a ton now. I'm fortunate with my, you know, my studio practice and my teaching, I don't have to do that, but I've worked some with some artists for a long time that is kind of like finding a good coach when you find a good printer and a good working relationship. Uh-huh. I sort of come out and still do some projects for them. That's true. That's a very intimate relationship for sure. Both yeah. both things. What is your studio like in Williamsburg? Um, is it big? Do you share not, it? It's not. No, it's not glamorous at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, though, that you're in Williamsburg. It's like the original place where artists are. Yeah. It's, you know, it has come up. I've been there since a couple of years after grad school, maybe about... 2003. And, um, you know, when my partner and I, when we first, he's been there for a lot longer than I have been. And, you know, when I first got to the building, it was like, pull the elevator down with a string kind of situation. And then the code went up and, you know, a lot of people, great artists got kicked out of the building. It's a seven story building, but the top two floors um, still are all artists and they're grandfathered in. So that's how I'm sort of still in that situation, subletting off somebody that's um, grandfathered in. So it's, you know, otherwise we all probably would have been way out and somewhere else. But wow, so that's amazing. So you've seen the neighborhood change significantly. Yeah, yeah. We have a photographer friend in the building and he sort of takes uh, portraits sometimes of us locals that have been there for, you know, at least whatever, 10, 15 years. And he's like, they're still in the neighborhood. You know? <laughs> we haven't been pushed out. like or dinosaurs. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, you know, not, I don't feel like consider myself a dinosaur. But there no. are people that have been there since, you know, the reason why these people are grandfathered in on the, they've been there probably since the 70s. And they have like, you know, all the electric bills to show they've been there for mm-hmm. forever. So, um, you know, like I said, I only went in in 2003. Yeah. You're in a great creative <laughs> part of the it's world. Fun. Which is nice. Yeah. Um, did you do a long run today? I didn't. It's actually tomorrow. Tomorrow. What are you yeah. running tomorrow? Probably 20. Yeah. And you did the 18-miler last weekend. Yeah, I did that as a sort of a workout within the 18-miler. So I did a little sort of warm-up lap. And then I think you guys saw me when I was starting to fire up <laughs> a little yeah. bit. So You looked so fresh, though. I mean, <laughs> your paces are amazing. <laughs> as fresh I'm as just... one can look for three laps of the park. Yeah. So you ran 6.35 pace average. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you chip away at it after yeah. years yeah. and years and years. Have you been a runner your whole life? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I got into cross country maybe sophomore, junior of high school and track and field and stuff, but I was always sort of a, a, in the sports growing up. I was a figure skater for a long time too, so it's always been kind of the routine and the kind of schedule has always been kind of part of my life. So it's, even when I wasn't uh, running competitively, I still kind of would, you got to go out for a few days. It's how you clear your head. It's kind of just part of, you know, my week, regardless of whether I'm training for something or participating in anything. Yeah. Since we are on the running topic. So at what point was a switch into the, into competitive mode? Well, you know, I think when I got out of grad school, I probably worked, as I said before, I like to see how many balls I can keep in the air once. Mm-hmm. I did maybe three part-time jobs, and it was all over the place. I never knew when my day off was or if I was going to have a day off and within week stretches. But then I ended up being a full-time master printer at Columbia, and then I my schedule leveled out, and then I ended up getting a full-time teaching job. My schedule leveled out even more. And so really it was just sort of the transition of my schedule leveling out, and then my running was more consistent, um, and then kind of slowly just... I just kept chipping away. I didn't have huge like dreams and goals. I just each, each year just kind of, you know, tried to look within reason. I, I admire those people that can sort of in one year make huge jumps and go for big goals. And I just sort of, you know, 
minute here and there <laughs> within what I could manage with work and life. That's really wonderful, though. That's such a good example of how running can really give back to you for your whole life if you're consistent with it and patient. Yeah. We talk about patience a lot. Yeah. And I would think that your process of printmaking requires similar patience. Definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm a very much a process person. It's like you give me a schedule running or a printmaking process. It's like you start here and you end here. Yeah. <laughs> can you talk about some of those parallels? Like you probably... You know, you've been in printmaking for so long, and then you've been running this whole time. So I'm sure between doing both of them, you get engrossed in both of the processes. And then yeah. where do you see the similarities or even differences, but in a similar way, if that makes any sense? Yeah. You know, I think every printmaker has their own way of doing things. Like, and you might think you can only do it this way. And, you know, colleagues that I teach with, I sort of joke, like, if some of my students have taken a class with so-and-so or taking a class with so-and-so, I'm like, we all get to the same place, but we might have different, you know, ways of getting there. And I think the same thing with running, like you, it, it, there isn't one formula, but, you know, I believe in not necessarily printmaking per se, but like rest and recovery and, and being consistent with, with that sort of in the schedule. Um, and in printmaking, you know, it's the same thing. You can kind of take risks and end up with happy accidents and big surprises or, you know, some processes are so super technical that you can't take risks and you're just like, all right, you can't skip, you know, five steps and hope that a photogravure is going to work or something like that. Or, you know, different processes that are really, you know, heavy on technical precision. I love that idea of happen on something that that ends up working out really well. Has that happened in your running for you that you tried something differently and you just got a result that you weren't expecting? Recently, I would say the Brooklyn half. <laughs> which... We were just looking at your result. I was like, holy moly. Um, yeah, your pace, you ran a 117.14. Yeah. 5.54 pace. I wasn't even going to do that that day. And then our team was running, and we just sort of, as a collective, were just see how well we could do. And I'm like, oh, I'll just, just jump in if, you know, see if I could pull in for the fifth runner or whatever. And I had just run Boston. So, you know, I think I maybe ran two weeks of miles and maybe a couple like easy fart licks. And I'm like, I'll just see if I can pull off marathon pace. And then, you know, friends talk you into doing silly things. And I bumped into them a mile two and they're like, well, you're with us now. Just stay with us. And I'm like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> but, and so I ended up, I was like, well, what, what's the worst that can happen? I'll just jog it in. Mm -hmm. So, and then all of a sudden at mile six, I realized I was still kind of on PR pace. And then, you know, it, that course is yeah. easier on the second half. So I was just decided to sort of go for it at that point. But what were the last three miles like? Yeah, those, Just, it, it was like, you know, hang on yeah. <laughs> at that point. But, and then, I mean, I knew I had a PR, so it was just like how much of a PR and, and, you know, just chase the shorts in front of you kind of. It's a hard thing to describe that feeling when you're, you, you okay, so you realize that you're about to PR, but in some ways that's also irrelevant because you just want to do the best that you can do no matter what the time is. But then sticking on that, but also having the leeway to be like, oh, but I can back off, but I don't want to. And yeah. like. It's like this whole dialogue that goes on internally. For miles and miles. <laughs> yeah, miles and miles, but particularly those last few when mm -hmm. it's like you just want the finish line. Yeah. I was running with a teammate of mine, um, Anna Johnson, and she and I train some big workouts together sometimes, and it was funny. We just kind of kept pushing back and forth. She'd pull a little head, and I'd pull a little head, so it was just sort of stay with Anna. And then, you know, we just kind of just kind of kept pushing back and forth, which was kind of nice to have, which, you know, maybe if she wasn't there or... 
then I maybe would have slacked off a little bit in the right. <laughs> in the second half. But that is so nice. Does she fun. do you guys train together regularly? Or it's hard for me to sort of match yeah. up with a lot of schedules because I'm in Rhode Island for three days a week. Um, but when we have a big workout, someone will text or email and be like, "Hey, anybody want to come out and just even come out for some miles or?" you know, share some of the load. So that's but. cool. Can you tell us a little bit about your team that you run for the distance project? It's, is it fairly new? Yeah. Very new. And we, it's all women, right? All women. Yeah. We, um, started in March. Uh, we sort of had a group meeting in, in December. So it was really just came as a collective of, of friends from years and years of running in the park. Like, you know, people that I didn't know outside of like showing up to, you know, a race and, I joke with everybody that we kind of grew up together from like maybe 2008, 10 on of like, you know, chasing each other and, you know, watching our times drop and then someone would be a little ahead, I'd be a little behind or I'd be a little ahead. And, and so it was sort of these group of women that we've kind of just, you know, friends for probably eight, 10 years. And then, um, each of us all running for different teams. And so then being like, Oh, you should join my team. No, you should join my team or, <laughs> you know, and then at the end it was sort of like, maybe we should start a team. Um, and so for a while we were kind of like joking that it would be the lady joggers, somebody sort of said. So we kind of went with that for a while in its sort of working stages. And then in December or January, I think we met and we we're like, all right, if we're doing this, let's see if we can really get it off the ground for March. Um, you know, and it was, you know, as my background is in printmaking, it's making uniforms the three days before the New York City half for people <laughs> <laughs> or running and delivering them after making them. And um, so we, you know, it was pretty grassroots and it's still developing and we're sort of, it's been amazing, the response. And um, it's it's sort of, it's hard to sort of put into concept, context yet because I think we're still trying to figure out what it is ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we're 15 women and um, yeah. I love the title that it's project, which is, it makes sense. It is a project. <laughs> it's such a wonderful, it leaves a lot of room for yeah. evolution. Evolution. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We moved off of email to Slack because the emails, daily emails, it was, you know, <laughs> intense of 15 people. Wow, you guys are already ahead on the technical curve oh, there. Yeah. You know, kind of, yeah, that, I love that. But That's it's so great. great. There's not one person in charge, everybody. It's kind of a collective and everybody has a, um, there's no coach, there's no money exchange. It's just kind of a, a collective group of women that are kind of there to kind of support each other and, and push each other. There's, you know, we don't have, we're trying not to have demands like other clubs where to really focus on all the club points races in New York, um, but really just show up to a few um, where maybe it's, you know, the club point, I mean, the um, team championships and then choose two or three more, but every, a lot of people are distance runners. And so they're sort of going for the marathon and it's mm -hmm. hard to sort of fit in, you know, making everybody run the mile or making everyone do a 10 K. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, that's a big spread. Put yeah. A big amount of pressure on, on that, but just sort of support each other with whatever we're chasing. And do you have uh, women of all ages or is it more masters? All okay. ages. Yeah. That's we have nice. Probably, I'd say the bulk are in the you know mid 30s, and then there's some later 30s. There's two masters, um, a few in the in 20s. So that is great. I love the story of the collective of saying trying to pull each other on each other's teams and being like, you know what, forget this. Like we yeah. need to. We're obviously, you know, if you're trying to pull each other together all the time, then we belong on the same team. Yeah. And why why don't we start something? That's great. I know. I love, that's such a good thing. I mean, I find myself in that situation too. Like I have female friends on different teams and it's like, wait, no, you come to my team. No, you come to my team. <laughs> it was an amazing amount of work, I have to say, to get <laughs> off the ground. So, you know, and, and, 
you know, people joke about starting teams and stuff, and and it did take, uh, you know, a good heroic effort of a lot of people to get it off, and it's nice that people have different talents for, mm -hmm. you know, different things, and some people are taking over, you know, we have to establish ourselves as a nonprofit. We have to sort of, somebody's dealing with New York Roadrunners and setting us all up. Somebody's talking to USATF. Like, you know, everyone has kind of their, someone's working on the design. There's a few of us that are in the design field, so it's, um, it's been nice to have people with, you know, um, abilities in different areas to <laughs> pick up uh, getting it off the ground. That's really fun. Well, you use the word talent, which brings me to my, a question. When did you realize that you had a talent both for art and also for running? Did they, did it happen at the same time or one before the other? I think I was always coined as the artistic kid, you know, and <laughs> sort of making things. And, um, so I don't know when that really first started. I've always kind of been interested in arts and making things. And, uh, I went to art school for undergraduate. So I kind of made that decision young to, to go straight to art school. And for running, you know, I was in junior high and our junior high didn't have enough people for a track meet or something. And so my history teacher knew that I was just sort of athletic with, you know, skating. And he's like, hey, you just show up to the track today. We just need like 10 people to like actually qualify as a team. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, you know, and then put me in the mile. And I'm like, what? You know, so I just kind of, you know, loitered in the back so I didn't know how I was going to even, you know, mm -hmm. run that. And then I just actually ran quite well and just started picking people off and ended up <laughs> placing kind of well. So I knew I liked it. And then, but I still didn't have time. I was like a figure skater and sort of playing soccer. And, and then later, um, I stopped figure skating in like sophomore year of high school. So then I switched to cross country and kind of fell in love with running. When did you kind of settle into the distance that you like the most? I always knew that like the longer the distance was kind of my strength mm -hmm. and, and I like speed and I feel like I have a relatively decent amount of speed, but the longer, the longer I go, the better. I feel like I've always had, you know, as a kid coined as kind of the middle dist, I was the midfield in soccer because I was the one that enjoyed doing laps of the field for the <laughs> warm up and <laughs> would run back and forth. And so I always kind of felt like I kind of could keep going. So always, I, I love the marathon and the half marathon and, you know, 5Ks, 10Ks scare me, but I like the challenge. Yeah, especially the ones in the park. They're so hard. Yeah. I've never <laughs> run a 10K outside the park, so I'm curious to someday do a 10K outside oh, the park. Oh, you should, yes. Yeah, have you never done Queens? Nope. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I was tempted to do that one this year, but sometimes it's... It has its other challenge of, yeah. the, of the time of year. There's yeah. no acclimation <laughs> yeah. in... June. Yeah. It's we're just not acclimated yet. Well, I'm always <laughs> tempted to do the BAA 10K too because it's pretty flat. But again, it's June and it always can be yeah. muggy and gross. I'm just gonna go back to your previous point of you said, like Brooklyn was almost like just just show up and it was an accident. You said in printmaking too, you have to take risks all the time. It reminds me of. So I, I worked in a dark room for a really long time. It was actually right next to a printmaking uh, place, but it was it was you know it's very. It reminds me of a story for myself where one day I had to make these prints. The paper I had was expired. So I was like, I'll just, let's just go with it. I can't, I don't know what to expect, but we'll see what's going to happen. And then on purpose, I picked up chemicals that were also expired. I said, we're taking a risk, so we're going to go all the way out with the risk. And like start turning the lights on. <laughs> and it obviously the paper was expired. That had a certain effect and the chemicals were expired. So that had a certain effect. But my prints ended up looking like even though they were on paper, on fiber paper, they got this residue that the fixer never took off. And it ended up looking like they were on metal plates. Oh, cool. And those are like some of my Very best cool. prints ever. But it was yeah. just it, it wasn't the idea of like not doing it that day. Instead, yeah. like taking the risk and seeing what happened. Yeah. 
when I've, I've worked with um, a lot of artists that are not typically known as printmakers, and um, at Columbia, their mission, when I was the master printmaker at the Leroy Neiman Center at Columbia, their mission is to bring in artists that are not necessarily have any experience in, in printmaking. So I'm working with sculptors or painters or uh -huh. ceramicists, and, and you know they come in with crazy ideas, and I'm like, yes, okay, and then they leave, and I'm like, oh, God, how do we make that work? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, um, but that's kind of fun. I feel like that's kind of pushed my way of making work as well as teaching um, printmaking, and and so, and they're all about sort of the accident or bringing in something super, you know, not printmaking, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but Are you working on any projects right now, something exciting that you can talk about? Or? Um, not per se, uh, mm -hmm. no, it just came off a big project for an artist, so that was, it's kind of a relief to have my weekends. I'm, my weeks are <laughs> short in New York, and my weeks are short in Providence. I'm like, Monday through Wednesday, just during the school year, I'm, I'm in Providence Monday through Wednesday, and then, you know, it was sort of short when I get back to New York, when I don't have time for my myself and my own studio, but working on some projects for myself or some group shows that are coming up, some woodcuts that I'm doing, but... Oh, wow, I love woodcuts. I love woodcuts, too. It's my favorite. <laughs> Durer is one of my favorite artists. <laughs> I just showed a lot to my students this week. Oh, was, nice. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Sorry. Um, if we think about process in terms of art and also running, does your running and following a training plan, and I imagine, do you work with a coach? Yeah. Does that relationship help you in your teaching in terms of, like, guiding, but we kind of have to live and learn and... Yeah. All of those things that we learn from marathon training? Definitely. I think in 2008, I, I haven't had, knock on some fake wood or <laughs> metal table here, <laughs> I haven't had any huge, huge injuries. In 2008, I had two stress fractures, and those are probably oh. my biggest ones. And I think the lesson I learned on that is like, stick, you know, don't do anything silly. I was like jamming all the miles at the end of the week because I didn't have time to do them in the beginning or doing a long run on the back of a big workout. And, you know, that's... 101 of run yourself into a, mm -hmm. a major injury. Um, so I think that taught me early on. It's like, you know, really kind of stick to the plan and stick to the schedule and with at least recovery and rest or keeping days separate that are, you know, recovery days in between hard efforts. And so I tried a lot on my own for a while and I was working with uh, Todd Weiss with Williamsburg Track Club for a while. And then um, I sort of experimented and read a million books and tried some stuff on my own. And then I hired um, Stephanie Bruce, mm -hmm. which she's been my coach probably for the last five years, which um, it's been sort of an amazing experience where, you know, some weeks I'm like, come on, we could do a little more. And then some weeks you look at the schedule, you're like, Jesus, no, <laughs> that's, we could do a little less. We could do a little less. Um, but I fully, you know, just kind of, it's nice to have somebody else write the plan. I think as you guys know, where, you know, if you're healthy and your, your time allows, you just kind of stick to the plan and you, you know, carry it out. And so you just... It's, yeah, it's fun, like process. So it's nice to be told what to do. <laughs> yeah. There's very few things in life that are so black and white. Yeah, <laughs> Stephanie was joking with me this summer, and she said, "In five years, I don't think you've ever questioned one workout that I've mm. given you." And I'm like, "Well, I trust the plan. You know, it's been working." <laughs> I love like, that. you want me to start now? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's such a good question because you do have to throw so much trust. Did you trust her right away? I mean, that that's probably why you. Yeah, yeah, chose definitely. Um, you know, I wanted to. I. I mean, I, th I admired her sort of running and her, you know, career. So it was it was an easy and working with a woman, you know, you sort of have a understanding yeah. to in a different way. And so it's been kind of great from from day one. But and That's some nice. days like after a marathon, I'm like, oh, we can kind of get back at it. And then all of a sudden it's like in one week it turns to like, you know, OK, we're back at it. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> you know, I fully trust her with like recovery and, and coming back and 
And does she help you choose, uh, lay out your calendar for yeah. full races? I'll, I'll throw out some stuff and say, you know, what do you think fits in better? I'll have the A, you know, the goal, A race, and then sort of throw in a few ideas for our middle ones, and she'll say this is better or not. Or How many <coughs> uh, goal races do you run in a year? I try to only do one marathon a year. I, I know that, like, with life and work and stress on my body, I just can't generally handle more than that. I did, I got on the spring-fall cycle for a while, like, maybe back in the, I don't know, early 2010-ish or something. And I got burnt out. Like, mm -hmm. it was it was tough. And that was when I first started working with Stephanie, I think, in, like, 2014. And I, I was probably in shape to run a little bit better. And I was like, nope, I just kind of want to go out and get this one done and know that I – because I, I was burnt out before, and I, I just needed to, like, cross the line, feel good about it, and then start, you know, again. And mm -hmm. so I we, – we started there, I think, around, like, 2014, and then – I was pretty consistent with one marathon a year and like maybe don't look at my calendar this year. It's probably three in a year, I think, if it <laughs> or something. But I, you know, and I, I'm feeling that a little bit right now having run Boston because I don't generally, but, you know, life mm -hmm. is a little up and down. So I just, and it's been amazing, um, you know, invitations and stuff after you get an OTQ. You're like, all right, twist my arm, I'll run, you know. <laughs> so I think I just kind of just jumped on that for a little bit while riding the wave, so... Yeah, um, you're on the elite bib list for yeah, New York. Congratulations, yeah. that's a big deal. It'll be fun. So yeah, um, and some of my friends, um, Annie and and some distance projects, and Lauren Perkins, they're running in it too. So we'll have a good core group of um, team and and some Wazell. I run for Wazell as well. So there's several Wazell women that are running in that field too. So it'll be fun. Oh, that's great. That's really that's it's really inspiring to see. I mean, the New York masters women are just really incredible. As I said in the initial email, I'm like, all right, I can, <laughs> that's a hard masters act to follow with Roberta Groner when you had her on. <laughs> yeah. But you're right up there with her. Uh, far by, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you spoke about in 2010, 10 ish, you felt burnt out. So we, uh, we have listeners that like run the gamut of running. Can yeah. you talk about what that feeling's like, where you put the, you know, what that felt like. You're like, okay, this is really burning me out. Like, what were sort of the, even like concrete elements of what that feels like for a runner who might be feeling burnt out? Yeah. You know, I think the the workouts just weren't fun and they were late. I was laboring through the workouts and I think, you know, and then even you're kind of like, I'm always sad. Like when I'm, when I'm excited for an event and I had a good buildup, you're, you know, sad that the marathon's over and you're going to fall back to, you know, a level of fitness that's fun too, to come back up. But <laughs> I feel like, you know, I was just, like, excited for the marathon to be over because I was just tired and, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was feeling forced. And I think for my, just knowing my own body and my own um, recovery, I, I needed that, like, time to step away and sort of work on other gears, like, work on, like, marathon, I mean, half marathon and 10K stuff and, and just, you know, maybe max out at, like, 15, 16 miles and not go for those 22, 23. I think that's what really taxes you mentally, physically. And so to then only do that for like one kind of segment per year, like one, two, three month period. Like you kind of look forward to getting back to it instead of like you have two weeks off and then you start climbing back up and you have to get back there like with not much time. And I think I realized I, I kept the excitement, you know, if I, if I took that, if I had that bigger step away. So I thought that I just, you know, the, it, it just didn't feel fun anymore and it felt forced and, mm. That's a real, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Just feeling forced, like, okay, yeah. you, you're still going to do the work, right? Because you've yeah. committed as runners are eight types, you're still going to go out there. Yeah. And, but if it, if you're not getting that feeling at the end of a workout or wanting the race to be over, that's really, did, did you find it, it also spilled over to like your, maybe to your printmaking or other stuff as well, because you were so tired or burnt out? 
I think, you know, you, you make, I don't make a, I don't change my life too much for marathon training. I feel like I fit it into what I can handle. I don't give myself big rules or restrictions and it's just kind of, you know, it fits into the, to the way I live. And if I feel like if I have to, um, change it too much, I probably wouldn't do it at the level that I do just cause mm-hmm. you know, I running isn't my primary focus. It's something I do for fun and I like to be a competitive runner, but I'm also an artist and like I said, have all these other <laughs> jobs and, and, and things to do. So I think, um, I do commit more time just during a marathon cycle. And so it's just overall, it took up too much time in mm-hmm. the year, you know, and I, I try a lot of the little things you would kind of lose if you're always focusing on that. And when you only have to focus on it for maybe 12 weeks, you, you get in the little things, you do the stretching, you do the rolling, you do the, you know, cause you're working towards a goal. But if I have to focus on too, too much of that, like year round, it really just gets overwhelming. And, you know, I, I do the little things, but you know, it's, an extra an hour on a long run like that or mm-hmm. you know that's you such need a to good point get back to the shop where you need to you know socialize with people <laughs> <laughs> social life sort of plummets <laughs> <laughs> do your students know the caliber of athlete that you are some of them do yeah yeah it's I you know I think it's kind of fun I don't talk too too much about it at school I mean I, some people who run get it and um but having gone to art school a little bit too that I you know I when I went to RISD's, I didn't have a running team. And I, I talked to Brown for a minute because you could maybe sort of be an independent runner and but train with them, and it's scheduling just didn't work. So mm-hmm. I just kind of ran on my own for fun. And then people would joke, like, did I, did I see you running? They thought that was so strange, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, that was me about a mile from campus, probably <laughs> running back. What if they were like, we saw someone that looked just like you out yeah. there running? <laughs> yeah. And so being in the, that environment now, like some people just don't get it or don't care or, and then some people really do. And I don't want to like make, you know, mm-hmm. generalizations or stereotypes like that, but some people are, you know, you get the, the usual questions of like, you know, I'm going to run a marathon. How long's that one? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, yeah. The same as the last one. But, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, a couple people that like, you know, colleagues that know, um, would, you know, ask a lot. And, and then this money, I was at a, so I, I qualified in um, Chicago for the Olympic trials, and then, you know, a couple people asked, and they thought it was amazing, good, and then I didn't really talk about it too much, and then all of a sudden, like, the dean of faculty came up to me at a meeting, and she's like, I heard you're going to the Olympics in, like, <laughs> January or February, and I'm like, uh, no, okay, awesome. cat's out of the bag, <laughs> like, <laughs> but no, I'm not going to the Olympics. Oh, I love that. So I then it's kind that. of fun when people, I feel like it's fun, fun when people find out, like, later that I have this kind of other habit. Yeah, it's a whole so. other side. Yeah, it's I was cool. in this show for this print show last fall, and this the woman that curated it she came up to me after she, she's from Chicago, and then I said something about running the Chicago Marathon, and she's like, oh, that's great, and then someone jokingly be like, yeah, she got like 20 some second or third or something, and I'm like, yeah, we don't need to talk about that right now, <laughs> we're at, you know, and then she was like, what, someone should do a human interest story on you, and I'm like, no, like, so I think it's kind of funny, like, when people yeah. do find out, like, so I, but I don't not talk about it, but... Um, maybe, I don't know. I hope this is not a hard question, but can you talk about your, this is like your, throughout your lifetime, your best race and your most exciting printmaking project? I mean, by far, I'd have to say qualifying for the Olympic trials. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, as you guys both know, as marathoners, you know, four out of five kind of suck, you know, maybe, maybe three out of five kind of suck. I mean, Mm -hmm. not suck, but they're not your, your best race ever. You know, you have some good ones and you have some couple bad ones and you have like one generally you'll knock out of the park and you're like that's it um and I think that one was a culmination of you know taking a stab at 245 several times 
And I, in 2015, I tried when I, you know, I didn't even sell Stephanie. I was like, I'm going to try to see if I can run a 243. And my time was like 253 at the time. <laughs> and so I just kind of chipped away at the workouts, would try to finish the workouts like in that range. And then come race day, I was like, I'm, I'm going to give it a go. And I was like, you know, and I fell apart at mile 17, 18. And that, that was, that was pretty painful. But and then a year and a half later, coming back and trying to go after when they changed the time to 2.45, I was like, I'm still going to go for 2.43. <laughs> but, you know, and I didn't want to throw away that 2.45 that day. So, but I ran that, like, you know, a year and a half later, like, so much stronger and in a, in a different place that it was, it was great. I kind of feel like I, you know, I ran the first, like, half being, like, riding the brakes, being like, today's mm. the day I'm going to get it done. Today we're getting it done, you know? Okay. And so it was really fun, and I think to, and then in the last, you know, I, I, took off a tried to chase that 243 in the last few miles knowing that like like I said I probably could have stepped on it a little earlier just to go for it but it was it was fun to kind of run it in strong and feel like you know that was great so that would be my best one I would have to say and it was after you know failing miserably two years before and and you know trying to to sort of you know I actually was supposed to run New York the year after and then I had food poisoning and I couldn't run and it was like you know, so then I feel like I had a string of like things, and then when I finally ran that one, it was kind of the best one. Um, wow, I love that. It says something about you. You took that risk on the first one, and then you adjusted the risk to just the right amount the next time. Yeah, but you had to take that first one, yeah. right? To oh, say, yeah. like, that was that was I think oh. I can do this, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe a little too much if I dial it back for the yeah. that's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, I think I like I said earlier that I really admire people that can take huge risks and take off giant chunks of time, and I will do that once in a great while. But I'm like a very methodical, like did it in practice, I can do it on the mm -hmm. day. Like I don't <laughs> go out and gamble a huge amount, and that day was a giant huge gamble. And you know, you gotta you gotta try. Yeah, the the art part. Of what so the 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 biggest um, sort of success there that was sort of exciting, or mm -hmm. either way, or, or like what you know, wherever you're you're the most proud of your execution yeah. or happy with? Um, you know, I think that comes in waves. Like I mm -hmm. think right now I'm working on some, I, I, I make a lot of paintings as well. And um, I had a, a show in 2016 of some paintings that I really liked. And now I'm kind of in a, a big print mode where um, it's all, it's not really come together yet <laughs> where I'm kind of trying to make this installation of woodcuts where um, off of this project, which was really random, like take a risk kind of project similar to, to the marathon where, you know, sometimes I was just like, sure, just say yes, you know? And like, I, um, it was a building in Brooklyn and each artist was given a floor and you had to do an installation of the entire floor. And I don't work on like installation scale. And so, and it was really fun. And I actually, you know, it's a, no, it's an okay piece. I like the piece, but it has now made me sort of want to do this large, larger sort of woodcut sort of installation, um, piece that I'm kind of pulling material together to sort of you know, it's not, it hasn't come, hasn't gelled yet, but sort of <laughs> on a large scale, but it's what I've been kind of working on. When you're preparing ideas and getting a project together, do you, I mean, you have um, art history experience. Do you pull from kind of the old masters or people yeah. that you, do, are there certain artists that you feel that you're influenced by? Um, yeah, I think just contemporary art in general. I think printmaking is this weird sort of hybrid world, at least contemporary printmaking right now. Um, where it's, you know, it's taught as a, as a craft and it's also taught as a fine art and sort of, um, and I, that's my background and as well as how I teach it. And, um, so kind of just using it and thinking about it as a fine art and, and not necessarily putting it into categories. Um, so I think, 
you know, I teach a class installation in contemporary print media where it sort of tries to push printmaking beyond kind of the like the preconceived ideas that it's small and it has borders and sort of more installation based. So I kind of look at a little more contemporary artists that um, that really push it like that. And an artist that I work with a lot that I print for a lot is Sarah Z. Um, she's a sculptor, and I think she's she's kind of influenced the way I think about prints a lot, and in in the way that I kind of make them and in non-traditional materials, and they could almost be sculptural or they can be kind of, um, you know, or someone like Richard Tuttle has a mm -hmm. great sort of another artist that I think kind of pushes the, the idea of what prints are um, right. in the contemporary kind of, but there's, an, I mean, I can name artists, printmakers that I love, Kiki Smith, I can keep yeah. going like <laughs> down, but I love the masters as well. I was, you know, just teaching, I'm teaching introduction to Intaglio right now. So we're, mm -hmm. you know, went through, you know, Rembrandt and Durer and moving through to, we did a whole lot on Louise Bourgeois this week. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. How many students do you have in a class? Um, intro to etching is a little big and fun. It's uh, 17 students, so, you know, it's like a nice big fun mess for <laughs> five hours. <laughs> I was going to add, that was yeah. my next question. How long is it? Five yeah. hours, wow. Yeah, so they're fun. I usually, you know, I was joking that last week was the first week of classes, and I wouldn't say this, like, to all my students, but I'm like, I ran 20 miles, and now we're here at 11, and if you have any excuses, I don't want to hear them. <laughs> I'm like, I'm standing here. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> What's your favorite part about teaching? Um, you know, printmaking is like magic, and it's like in terms of community as well. It's like you're all dependent on this facility and shared materials and shared presses and shared whatever, everything. Um, so I think everyone's super supportive of like helping each other out, but also that when you're teaching it, it, it's, it is like magic. They're so excited at the beginning that you can like send this metal plate through the press and mm. pull off a piece of paper and there's a picture on the other side. <laughs> so It is cool. I, I, took a, <coughs> I took an etching class. Well, it wasn't actually using any metal plate. We were using, um, it was like plastic or rubber, something that we just could use an etching knife to uh, just scrape off a lot. point. It might have been, flexing. yeah. And I remember yeah. the whole thing about it has to be the opposite of what you want it to be when you, flip, yes. when you put the paper over. It's so obvious, but it's not when you're doing it and you're a kid and you're, wait, well, how is this working? Yeah, I always joke. I'm like, if you want your text to be backwards or you want to all of a sudden have a British car, feel free to, you know. And that's, flips. I mean, one of the most amazing things when you look at an, like an old master, a Rembrandt etching, and you have that in mind, that it was done yeah. inside out, backwards. It's like even more... Incredible. Have you done a lot of research on? on well, I studied. I, I studied up your, your background a little too. <laughs> 17th century Dutch. Yeah. I mean, my my heart is at 17th century yeah. Italian, and I studied Dutch art. The yeah. followers that came to Rome yeah. to yeah. study Caravaggio and bring it back to the northern um, northern Europe. So then, you, of course, you have like Flemish art and 13th yeah. century, and you keep going back and you keep yeah. going back. So, um, I mean, the contemporary scene, like I, we, I work in a gallery, it's a dealer. We sell early 20th century American art. So we're a little bit smaller. We don't do all of the art fairs, mm -hmm. but I know that you're pretty active in contemporary scene. So it's an interesting, it's a very active, it's a very active scene in New York, especially. And I think um, where else have you've shown internationally as well? Yeah, I was showing for a long time with Black and White Art Gallery, right. where they just closed last year, which was kind of disappointing. But, you know, I think um, they're, you know, that was a great experience and sort of sort of looking for a new gallery at the moment. But mm -hmm. um, but yeah, through she was great and she got me shows in sort of Liverpool and, you know, London or you know, I think there was, and I have friends that we've curated shows in China, and um, 
look at some stuff a little more local show in Boston coming up in the fall. Oh, um, nice. Nice. And um, is there the museum at RISD? Do you guys are you involved with curating there and helping them or helping the students? Do they do student shows there? Uh, the, they don't necessarily do student shows there, mm -hmm. but um, they have a room where basically you can pull out anything you want to look at anytime. Oh, There's wow. two days a week, Wednesdays and Fridays, and the students can go. But we always pull out um, part of the collection because it's amazing just to sort of talk about it in real life and not you know yeah. look at digital pictures. And um, so they have everything from old masters to very contemporary prints and. We work pretty close with the museum. That's wonderful. It's a great institution. It's an amazing museum to have on your school campus. Yeah. <laughs> and the print shop is across the street from it, so it's... That's amazing. Um, I, if you don't mind, I want to take us back. Um, a lot of the time we talk about all of the successes that we have and the PRs and things like that, but speaking from experience of having just been through like a pretty tough year, can you talk us, can you tell us about your year of your stress fractures and how you kind of dealt with that and how you came back to the performances that you have achieved? Yeah, um, that was so long ago now it feels like, <laughs> but um, I, I didn't get a chance to listen to your podcast yet of how you cross-trained your way <laughs> back there, but it, it's along those lines um, where in a weird way, I kind of, so I, I had one stress fracture and I probably ran a decent marathon and, and knew probably the week before that I probably shouldn't have been running that, you know, mm -hmm. but you know, you get to that point in the training and you're like, it's only a week, I'm going to do it anyway. And they're like, mm -hmm. you probably got that fracture on the day. Um, but so I, you know, pool, elliptical, whatever, slowly watching it heal on an x-ray. It was in my tibia. Um, and then I came back and got my second stress fracture by coming back a little too fast. So then I was super cautious and super, um, you know, I, I, I cross-trained pretty much. I was in the pool. I wasn't even allowed to be on the bike or elliptical, so I was in the pool. And I think that's when you realize, like, how much you kind of miss it or it means a lot to you, too. And so that, you know, the pool's annoying. And I, <laughs> first, I don't think I'd ever been to the pool at Columbia. <laughs> I was a grad student there, so you can kind of still use the facility. So I, I was like, oh, God, I'm like a cat out of water. Like, I'm a cat in water. I'm like, I'm not going in there. And so, you know, I started doing a lot of aqua jogging and then slowly a lot on the elliptical, <clears throat> still doing a lot of aqua jogging, but tried to keep the same schedule that I had in terms of, like, time for running and and just to keep consistent in the schedule and then slowly transferred some running back in. And then, you know, in a weird way, I came back. So I – my my time that race that I broke my shins <laughs> or shin was a, a 3.12. And, you know, I really wanted to, I was super excited. I finished that race being like, I knew I had more. And it was, it was one of those, you know, sometimes you run and you're like, oh, I'm done. Like when you cross mm -hmm. that line, I left it all out there. But some you come across and you're like, I think I'm, you mentioned that at one point in one of your, you know, you finish and you're like, yep, I had a little more there. So mm -hmm. I, that's when I kind of had this little spark that I wanted to chase three hours. So, you know, back to the injury, I kept it in my mind. I'm like, just, you know, work on endurance and, and slowly get back. And then um, I could have maybe run, I forget what year it was, like 2010, New York. And then I was like, nope, you got to be smart. And I think I ran like Greta's in the park. And I'm like, let me just get a qualifying time for the marathon again for next year. And then I'm not going to do the marathon. Let's just call it a day. And then I, the following year, ran New York. And I only actually ran three days a week for the entire training cycle maybe at the very end I maybe did four days a week and I was just pool like I would I would run like the workout an easy run and a long run like on land and then the rest of it was bike or pool 
and I came and ran a 259. Oh my <laughs> so, God. And so that's when I felt like I really, you know, I learned the hard way that like cross training is your friend, you know, and it doesn't, you don't have to run. I feel like I run most days now, but I'm not afraid to like, if something's hurting or if I'm just beat, like get on the bike or, you know, go to the pool and, you know, it's better than, you know, forcing yourself or feeling burnt out or, you know, just dragging yourself. So I feel like I learned that the really, really hard way, you know, with basically almost two years of no running um, and a whole lot of cross training. And then so I after that, when I came back, I, you know, have really been consistent with like these are my hard days. These are my easy days as much as possible. I mean, I have flexibility in my schedule and, and, and move things around a little bit. But that's really inspiring. So it was almost so, two years. Yeah. Wow. Because I was kind of dumb. How did you deal with that mentally, though? Because that's so hard. It's just, it's kind of isolating and it's, you miss, there's something lost, a part of your yeah. identity. Yeah, a lot of bad TV on Netflix. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, whatever. Sometimes you have to just watch the worst blockbuster movie on the elliptical yeah. and people would be looking at me like, why is she laughing hysterical? Yeah. And I'm like, what gets you through it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but did you have a similar experience? I, it was, I, I felt like you were like, yeah, yeah, totally. It yeah. was almost exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, I didn't have two of them, but it, yeah, it was a tibial stress fracture and just whatever it took to get through it and did the same concept of just the same amount of time that yeah. I would put in. I converted everything to the how many hours a week same. and then just to split that. Yeah. And then the same, the transit, one of the things, it was my kind of my first major injury. So, and it mm-hmm. probably was the same thing with you when one thing I didn't realize immediately is when the doctor said, like, you're, okay, nothing for six weeks, just elliptical or seven weeks or something like that. And I, I thought, okay, so seven weeks down the line, I can just go back to where I was, right? Yeah, I did that. didn't work. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, so when I got to seven weeks, I'm so glad I started working with a PT. And she was like, oh, no, you're going to walk first. I was like, oh, so that's yeah. seven turn into 10, 10 into 12, 12 into 15. Yeah. Uh, by, but... I had already put in the first six weeks on the elliptical, so now I couldn't back out of the marathon. So yeah, but but exactly what you what you described. Yeah. One thing that we were talking about on the train over here about training age and like, and I feel like even just listening to you talk about all of that is the the training age is not just like how many years you have run and physiologically your body has gotten used to all the things. And sometimes that takes six, seven, eight years, but it's also a mental thing. You have to make these mistakes. Well, not have to, maybe that comes off wrong, but like you end up making these mistakes, you learn from them. And then that goes into your training age, that knowledge to know what not to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the OTQ day in Chicago, I remember just every single thing you're like, nope, I'm not going to miss that bottle. Like I choked Mm -hmm. down a gel and I almost threw it up and I'm like, but I'm going to need to try that again because I'm not going to fit, you know, like, and that was, like I, I've done everything. I've gone out too fast and run a 5K, 10K, and 15K PR in a marathon. That doesn't work, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I have like skipped half the bottles because you feel good. Like that doesn't work. And so, but I felt like, you know, the age and the wisdom of having run whatever 15 marathons now. Like you know, that day I was like, all those lessons are coming today together, totally. <laughs> you know. But you have, to, and I, sometimes you have to do them yourself too. As many people can tell you, like, don't do those, don't do those, don't. But you, you know, kind of have to think you're a superhero and try it yourself and skip those or run too fast or, but I felt like I, you know, was able to put all of that, you know, and your body calluses and remembers how to do that too as well. But as much as smarts of mm-hmm. having done it. I'd love to hear you hearing you say, Oh, it seems like so long ago. Cause I'm sure when you were in it, you're like, this is never going to end. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we, um, Ali and I were 
injured at the same time over this past winter. And pool buddies. We were pool buddies. But we <laughs> Do you want to tell this story? Can we just go down there? Like, I had pool enemies. I didn't have like, pool buddies. We had no clue about... Anyway. Yeah. So we go to my gym. I gave Ali a guest pass, and we decided we are going to go pool running. So we had the band, you know, yep. the belts, everything. We're like pros. We got our goggles, and our, <laughs> <laughs> our caps, and we get in, and it's three feet of water. <laughs> and we tried to, like, run in it. Like it was basically pool thrashing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was not running. I mean, I definitely got my heart rate up, but I don't was not using any running muscles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we went, actually took a pool running class, and we were like, oh, you need to be on the deep end. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really hard, and it hurt my ankle, so I couldn't do it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I Googled it a couple times, and then I was like, all right, here we go. Yeah. This belt. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. The things that we do for what we love, it's yeah. kind of cool. Um, so you are running New York this fall. How is your training going? It's going well. You know, like I said, I think sometimes you have to have a little pep talk, especially when having just run Boston. But I think my Boston training cycle was a little short, which is why I think it came back to, you know, for, for Brooklyn for me there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think I'm at the, the pep talk point right now. You're like, all right, you've got six weeks to yeah. <laughs> just kind of, um, you know, with school starting and, and just kind of juggling everything right now. It was, and I was away all of August and I was, you know, every long run was somewhere else and on different terrain. I'm like, you know, you get, I remember usually at the end of a marathon cycle, I'm like, if I do another lap of Central Park, it's going to be too soon. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm like, I just kind of want to do 20 miles in Central Park tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And cause I feel like I've, I've done one in Arizona, like the last five weekends it's been like, you know, Arizona, London, Pennsylvania. Then I came back and let my friend convince me to like run around the island. And that was just like, no, nah, I'm like, I just need straight, you know, and then the tune up. <laughs> so, um, but now I feel like I just kind of need to hunker down and just kind of get to work where I feel like I have the fitness and I have the, um, like I say, my hamstring cleared up. Mm -hmm. I feel like things are kind of, you know, locking into place now. I have the, the miles and the fitness and now it's to put in some big workouts that will tax me, I love that me, feeling sure. of everything coming together. You just you feel it. Yeah. it. There's this visceral thing about it. Like mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, I think I think this is working. Where's your favorite place to run? I'm total creature of habit. I live yeah. on 112th Street, like on the top, right in the middle of the park, and I'm like, I just kind of like to go out in the park. And I know it's boring and no, but fine, but we're I'm so like, lucky to have that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Like, and you know, the terrain's good, and the terrain, you know, you have hard, easy. Yeah. Um, so I just, you know, and traveling during the week, I'm like, I just kind of like to go out in the backyard, my big backyard. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Nice. yeah. And you have options for like different surfaces. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I joke home. that like, you know, I go up on the reservoir on Sundays, easy like Sunday morning because it's yeah. flat, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, whatever you have. Do you have a, a comparable place to run in Rhode Island? There are a couple places. There's a couple tracks and then there's this East Bay bike path and then there's another hilly loop and another park that um, I'm sort of finding out there's some people that you meet via social media that are in Rhode Island and you're like where's that or where's this oh mm -hmm. that's nice that's cool. so I've been kind of I used to stick to just one one or two places and now I'm kind of venturing out a little bit I have this semester a little more flexibility in the mornings uh, I don't teach until the late morning or early afternoon so I kind of roam that's around nice. a little more do you like the track do you do your speed workouts there I do um, for the most part if it's like short stuff but you know there's Longer stuff, but there's only so many laps you can do. <laughs> mm -hmm. What track do you use in New York? Um, Williamsburg, generally. Williamsburg, okay. Yeah, my studio's oh, yeah, that makes down sense. the road. Yeah, so. that's great. That's great. Well, at the end of our shows, we ask our guests to offer our listeners a training tip. Do you have a training tip you could share? 
you know, this is something I used to tell myself a lot, which was, you know, whether it's a workout or a race, it's like, you know, you don't make decisions on the uphill. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you want to, like, bail on the pace or bail on the race or, you know, whatever you're – and I kind of forgot about that, and I was pacing a friend in the um, – in the pride run when I was sort of coming back from my hamstring and I was like, oh, I'll just jump in with a workout for you. And she, we went out a little hot for her. She was trying to get a PR and, and I was, I was letting her lead the pace. So it wasn't my fault that she went out a little hot when she listens to this. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, but it was funny. I, so I started joking with her and, you know, she was giving up a little bit going up Harlem Hill on the West side. And, and so she's like, oh, forget it. You know, like, and I was like, nope, there's no decisions on the uphill. Come on, up and over, you know? And yeah. I was like yelling at her. And then she shushed me, and I was like, oh, "Like, I'm here to help, you know." <laughs> sort of. And then, you know, we finished, and and then at the end, some random guy comes up to us at the finish. He's like, "That was so true. Thank you. That was awesome." And I was like, "What? I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I kind of forgot." And he's like, "You don't make decisions on the uphill." And yeah. I'm like, "Oh." Well, and I joked with my friend. I was like, "You know, yeah. somebody appreciated that, you know." That's <laughs> so so true. Yeah. But it, whenever I, you know, because it's Central Park, so there's always a hill. So you know, you kind of try to just hang on there and don't make a decision, you know, when you want to give up, just get out and get there. I like that. Cause, and just, um, if you don't mind, I'd like to add on to your train tip because I would say, and don't make decisions in your warm up either. Cause I usually feel terrible. In my warm -up. Oh yeah. I've yeah. had the best workouts with like the worst work warmups where you're like drag and you're like, maybe we'll do this tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Like, it's such a weird thing. I don't can understand. You, can you share what happened two weekends ago? At, at the community run, when we were warming <laughs> up for the community run. Oh, I mean, I could I could hardly run 9.30 pace. I was like, this is terrible. We're like, what is going to happen? And then, like, we put, you know, once you get in the corral, there's, like, this other switch goes on. Goes yeah. on like, it's like, goes totally, off. like, oh, that doesn't. I know. We should have warmed up at our race pace. Maybe that would have felt better. <laughs> <laughs> it did feel better because at least, like, the air is moving past you faster, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm running the, we're running the Bronx next weekend. And oh, I'm okay, like, hoping. are you cool? Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that, like that switch will just happen because yeah. I have no endurance. I have nothing, you know, I'm just <laughs> going to go see what I can do after being injured for almost a year. So. Do you have any big races that are putting on the calendar? Um, we plan to run London oh, great. next year. That's kind of the big that, race. Right? Yeah. I've tried three times and been denied. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> so really hard to get super into. Super hard. Yeah. We both, um, <clears throat> we had spots last year. So oh, good. deferred. Yeah. 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 So well, good luck. Thank yeah. you. And so I'll look forward to seeing you at the Bronx. Yes, I will be there. I'm I've never done it before, actually. Oh, you've never done Oh, it's so great. It's yeah. so great. It's. I mean, it's perfect yeah. rolling yeah. hills, and then the last couple of miles are downhill. It's oh, wonderful. Yeah, you're going to fly in the last two, at least. Well, my marathon leg's going to fly, but we'll see. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you say this now. Trust me. Yeah, yeah. yeah you will. It's yeah. a good one. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll probably continue on and do like 10 more. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? I haven't seen the schedule. I just wait for Sunday nights, and you're like, oh, geez, it's yeah. going to be one of the... You know, I, I imagine it won't be a, a taper this week for it. So right. We'll see. Yeah, you're kind of, you're in the meat of your your training. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Where can listeners find out more about oh, yeah. your uh, yeah. your yeah. Uh, your shows? How where, where can they go and learn more about Megan Foster, the um, artist? Well, my Instagram is Foster Meg Foster Megan. Um, so that one's sort of more my uh, studio practice or just kind of art related stuff. So I usually would post shows and stuff on that oh great and your website's megan foster meganfoster.net yeah. and it's m-e-g-a-n yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us yeah, it was so was nice chatting with you super fun thank you and we'll see you in two weeks <laughs>